I am unashamed. What about you? So I'm getting ready to hit the road. Lisa and I have got, uh, we've got six different events we're doing over the next two and a half weeks oh, wow. across the fruited plains. We, we start out in, uh, in DC. Lisa's doing, doing, speaking at a women's thing there. And, uh, we're going to wind up staying a couple of nights there. And, uh, I'm going to be able to, uh, broadcast, uh, our, our uh, podcast from the Bible museum, which is in DC. And, um, it's really going to, I'm excited about it. Cause one of their uh, curators that had given us a private tour is going to be on our podcast. And I told him his name is Norm and he loves you, Dak. I sent him your book uncanceled, but he was a big fan. And, uh, he, I told him I learned more in a three hour tour than I probably did in about a year of seminary, just about the Bible itself. Uh-huh. I mean, the guy's brilliant. So you're, you guys are going to enjoy him. Uh, he's going to join me from the museum to do the podcast, but you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because when you think about the, the word itself and the endurance of how it went across time. And we've talked about it many times before, you know, you're talking about, multiple authors over thousands of years and generations. And yet it tells one major story right. to impact lives. I mean, it in, in and of itself, it is a great, you know, apologetic for God himself. It would have been impossible for anybody else to try to do that. Oh, absolutely. Or just to be made up. I mean, yeah. it, it's impossible. So I'm super excited about that. I'm not so excited about three weeks of travel before I get back home, but you know, that's just the way it is. I'm grateful for technology. Uh, Jace, we were talking before we came on the air about, um, you have a place up in Nashville. You're going to get to, uh, test that out, which is great. You got your own yeah, little lair coming. going up there. We'll see. I'll let my kids be in complete control of that. Yeah. Cause at this stage of technology, if someone's under 30 years of age, they have a distinct advantage. That's right. Can you agree, Phil? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've had more conversations late at night trying to get, you know, to watch the LSU game or because, you know, now TV on some TVs, if you don't have cable, yeah, you got to figure out. hooked into some kind of apps, and I mean, it's yeah. so over my head. <laughs> I know. You know, I keep just what channel is it on? Well, Dad, it's well, not on a channel. Dad, a funny story. We never, you know, we never said because we're. You know, I wondered we're, if you were just not bringing it up. Oh, the LSU. <laughs> well, I I did something. Because by the time this airs, this would have been like two weeks ago. But still, you know, it, it I was. I guess this has really turned into an intervention <laughs> of all sorts. I did something I've never done before in my life. So I guess that's noteworthy. Yeah. When, because LSU was playing uh, Florida, State. Florida State in the Superdome, nobody knew what to expect of LSU. Or Florida State, for that matter. Yeah, but they had played a game. They had played a game. And they were further along in the rebuilding process. Right. So I'm watching the game. And so when uh, the punt returner muffed the second punt in the fourth quarter with a couple minutes to go, I did the old Jay Stone and told Missy, I said, turn it off. Oh, no. So me, it was me, Missy, and Scylla, one of Jep's kids. We watched it. She came over before the game started. She's like, I thought I'd watch the game with y'all. I was like, great. That'll <laughs> up. So we turned it off. So later on, so an hour goes by, and uh, I see the score on my computer. So I've done moved on to research. You know, I'm trying to read my Bible on the internet and I see the score 24 to 23. I said, well, that can't be right. I said, these idiots, they got the score wrong. I mean, and so I said, well, wait a minute, maybe why would they put something must have happened. So I go back in there and try to turn the TV back on. Can't figure it out. Missy's done gone to bed. I can't get it working. So I broke my five-year, you know, uh, fast from social media, and I basically pieced together what happened. Just from reading what people said? No, no, from videos on social media. Oh, they fumbled. Florida State fumbled on the one-yard. So now it's like I was watching the game again. (laughs) It's like, oh, we drove down the field. It's one second. You know, we're a touchdown down after this big play, the new tight end. 
touchdown we scored i'm like with one second did we actually missed the extra point or did we go for two I yeah that's know. the big question i'm watching it an hour later through videos no we had the we had the point extra after point block. block so then i was actually happy that you didn't see it that i missed it i thought well this was way better because as disgusted as i was on muffing the punt losing the game the only thing that could be worse <laughs> is to get the ball back, go down there, and then miss the extra point and to go into overtime. It was really interesting because, of course, Corby's watching the game with me, and he loves sports. He loves LSU. That's my eight-year-old grandson. But he's influenced by his dad, by Stone, who Stone turned it off in the first quarter. Well, part of our family, you know, we have angry fans. <laughs> That's right. Because they can't. They just can't. But so he's they can't it. They can't. so so Corbin's just nonstop. He's down on that, and I kept saying, Corbin, just it's the first game. It's this new coach. It's a new program. I said, just give them a chance, you know. Yeah. And they look terrible, which you expect because you know they're playing a good team. So then this all happens. Of course, he he is left. He left and went back to the wherever the kids go. And then he hears me yelling in the thing. He comes running back in. It's when they got the ball back. Yeah. So then we watch it together, and he's looking at Now we're fired up again. And it, well, you're right. It was deflating. But I was like, look, at least they had the fight in them to hang in well, there. They almost yeah, came back. It made me feel better about it. I shouldn't have. I mean, I, that's the first time I've ever jumped ship before the <laughs> – you got to play for 60 minutes. Well, it's you funny gotta... you said that because Corby left and he said, Pap, are you not, why are you not turning this off? And I said, well, because, you know, something may happen. You never know. I'm not going to give up on him yet. Oh, no. I said, it's over. <laughs> we lost. So that was a valuable lesson. But it is just football. Yeah, but just football. You, you just, you know, you, you realize it's something, you know, fun you can watch. But you got to keep your emotions in check. And you got to remember now, when you're talking about football, is you, this coach, this new coach, this new system – because all these people are like, oh, we, this guy is terrible. It's like, he's only had one game. <laughs> well, right. I mean, just yeah. give him a chance. He's kind of – we literally had 38 players to rebuild from. So You can't let worldly events, you know, affect your character. I mean, that's the bottom line. You well, I used to, to – we've talked about this before, but I, I, I was way too into it. And, of course, I used to go to games, get back home at 3 in the morning and then preach. and I mean, it was just crazy. But then one day I just figured out. 18, 19, 20-year-old young men should not be dictating my emotion for very long. <laughs> exactly. I mean, about three hours is all they should get. So I, I've quit, like, the depression and oh, mad yeah. and all that. I've kind of moved on. But, look, I know in our in our unashamed world out here, we got fans of everybody, and especially a lot of SEC fans from different teams. So uh, hats off to all the successful programs. LSU's probably still got another bit of rebuilding to do, but we'll we'll get back in the game at some point. We'll be back. We'll be back. Yeah, and that's so. Yeah, technology is what took us to all that. So hopefully. well, this is a so this is our last session in Hebrews. We pretty much finished the book. I mean, the last verse is similar to a lot of other verses. Well, let's read that. In let's letters. read that text, Jax, because on the overtime we talked a little bit about, but I at least want to read it for the, our larger audience. At the end of verse eighteen, he says, "Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way." And we talked about on our mm-hmm. overtime how difficult a task that is, right? To yeah, try to have honor in everything you do. I practically urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. We talked about that some in the last podcast. Equip you with every, with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. And amen. So that's kind of the, the wrap I mean, that's of us, theology. But yeah. that's our life right there. God works in us, you know, through his, his will. That's why we're here. That's why, because a lot of people say, "Well, why, why, you know, why is he not coming back yet?" That's it, right there. Right. He uses us through him, through Jesus, to do good works here to show how awesome he is, you know, on this earth. And when you look at his credentials, he offered his blood. He gave us an eternal promise, an eternal promise, and that's something we're incapable of giving. That's correct. He gave us an eternal promise, and he confirmed it by bringing Jesus back from the dead. And we are like a flock of sheep. Yep. I mean, this whole theme has been, y'all hang on, y'all hang on. I mean, we spent the whole time last time talking about going to Jesus outside the camp, but 
what awaits is disgrace. Right. You're going to be persecuted yep. for living a Jesus grace-filled life. It, things are not going to go your way. And never forget the leadership structure that the Hebrew writer closes with. You got to have the chief shepherd, Jesus. He's got to be at the top of the pyramid. He's the one you look to. Under him are going to be some people that he puts in your life to help hold you accountable, lead you, try to help your life be stronger. And then, and then it's everybody else. And the idea is that all they do, if they're not imitating the life of Christ and pointing you to him, then they're not worth following. So just, you know, he makes a point. So I want to mention that. Then we read these last uh, three or four verses. And this is interesting, Jace, because we spent, we first started the book a few weeks back or months back, maybe now. We talked about kind of a question mark over who wrote this book. Well, this obviously closes, closes part, tells you it was someone in the Paul camp, whether it was Paul himself or one of his guys that works with him. Because we know this from how he closed it. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written you only a short letter, which is kind of funny that he said that because Hebrews is pretty long. pretty long. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. So he was definitely from Paul's group. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. So they were in Rome. Grace be with you all. And, and I mentioned this before, Jesse. He began with grace, remember, in the very first of the book, and he ends with grace, which tells you kind of how you should probably book in your life. You want to begin things with grace and you want to close things with grace as well. So, um, yeah, great study. And um, obviously I've enjoyed being able to do that. So, Dad, you've got some like closing thoughts about it that uh, we're going to talk about for the rest of the podcast. Kind of, We're kind of going to give you an overview now that we're at the end of, of kind of what we studied and why. But he was trying to, before Phil gets into that, he was trying to give them confidence and obviously to deepen their faith and produce hope and love in the world. But he he was saying that this is going to be, your circumstances may be extreme as far as being disgraced when you live a life after Jesus. And even in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith chapter, one, one point we didn't bring up, it just kind of came to me, was when he said uh, in verse 34, he was kind of going through some of the highlights that had happened with people who had faith in God. And he said, uh, you know, that the Lord had shut the mouth of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and and escaped the edge of the sword. But then he makes this statement and said, whose weakness, you know, talking about these men, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samson, Samuel, these whose weakness had turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And uh, I think that's a theme that we don't really talk about, even like when we're experiencing God's discipline or, you know, God specializes in turning what our weaknesses are into his strength. I mean, he he uses us. And I was going to read the Romans 8 because it reminded me of that when we read that Hebrews 13 at the end where it said in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ or trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. I mean, these are all things that happen because of our faith. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered to be sheep, to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yeah, that's perfect. And you're exactly right. Let's take a break. So we're excited to tell you about uh, Moink, which is moo plus oink. Jason, even you can get that one, right? I know my animals well. <laughs> you got a cow and a pig. Uh, you know, only 2% of Americans are farmers, yet 100% of us eat. So, you know, we need those guys and gals. And uh, the eighth generation farmer is the one who founded Moink. So uh, we, we love that. We love that about this company. Um, they The great thing is they deliver grass-fed, grass-finished beef, lamb, pastured pork, chicken, sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and they take it all straight to your door. So Moink farmers farm like your grandparents did, which is kind of a great tradition, American tradition, 
uh, of farming. And so we want to support these guys, and we're happy that they're supporting us. So keep American farming going by signing up for moinkbox.com slash Robertson. Right now, listeners of this show get free filet mignon in every order for a year. Can't beat a good filet mignon, Jay. It's just mm. really good. So it's one year, the best filet mignon you've ever ever tasted, but it's for a limited time. So M-O-I-N-K, moinkbox.com slash Robertson. That's moinkbox.com slash Robertson. Get your meat and get you some free filet mignon. What's amazing is the first page of the book of Hebrews covers the entire thing. Correct. The entire Bible on both sides of it. All the text different people wrote. The first page, he gives you the end of the beginning. He gives you the beginning and the end. Book of Hebrews. In the past, he's going back in time, before Jesus became flesh and all. God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days. Now look, everybody gets all concerned. But the Hebrew writer said, from the time Jesus died, was buried and raised from the dead, and he wrote the book of Hebrews, he said, these are the last days. It's 2,022 years since Jesus got here. So in these last days, at the time frame when he came, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe, everything made through Jesus, he's showing how great and how big Jesus is. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word, never a misstep, never a lie, never a stumbled tongue. After he had provided pure case for sins, he's talking about the gospel, the death of Jesus on the cross. They thought they were rid of him, but he came back from the dead and he is seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. All this has happened. So he's more superior than angels. Verse 8 of the first page of Hebrews, his throne will last forever and ever, which is good to know. Righteousness will be the scepter of his kingdom. Never did anything wrong. He loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Uh, By the way, the only time the kingdom is mentioned in the book of Hebrews is the first chapter, the second part of Verse 8, the scepter of your kingdom, the righteousness will be your scepter of your righteousness. Well, he did mention when you're in 12 when it says, since you're receiving a kingdom yeah. that cannot be shaken. Good but point. And he gets back to that. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions. Then he talked about how it's going to end. So the people that think maybe that they have anything to do with the, the cosmos the Hebrew writer gives you an update that it's going to be destroyed and God's going to do it in. Uh, All these things, the heavens are the work of your hands. You laid the foundations of the earth. That's verse 10. They'll all wear out like a garment. They will perish, but you'll remain. Talk about Jesus. You'll roll them up like a robe and a garment. They'll be changed, but you remain the same and years will never end. Takes care of that. Then it gets down to what these Hebrews and the entire earth heard, according to the Apostle Paul in uh, Colossians 1, about verse 23 or 4 in there. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard. He's talking about the gospel. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, every violation, disobedience received, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? That's the gospel. Jesus died, was buried, and raised from the dead. It was first announced by the Lord. Y'all can figure it out. It was either Luke 4 or it was when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about halfway through every one of the Gospels, Jesus just simply said, we're going up to Jerusalem. The chief priests and teachers of the law are going to condemn me. They're going to kill me. But in three days, I'll be raised from the dead. All the Gospels recorded. I'm in... uh, I'm in Matthew. You start in Matthew 16. 
And about, if you say, well, do you think that's when he first announced his coming? I'm leaning that way. Look, Matthew 16, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. No ifs and ands and buts about it. I must go. But suffer many things at the hands of the teachers, chief priests, and teachers of the law. They're going to treat him like a dog. Over and over and over, you read about it. He must be killed, Jesus said, and on the third day be raised to life. Turn one page, Matthew 17. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They'll kill him. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. Turn a page, Matthew 20. We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed. You get the point. Over and over and over, he announces, this is what I'm fixing to do. Peter was arguing with him, no way, no, no, that can't happen, but it's what saved the world. Well, that's in the first page. So you turn one page from Hebrew, from the opening line, and, and the Bible says in about verse uh, six, this should be going to be the, 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 the information given every time. Now we're in 2-4. There's a place where someone says, what is man? You are mindful of him, the son of man, Jesus, that you care for him, made a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. Remember, you have two competing ideologies here. The grace of God, not by works, and the people who are under the law of Moses who are living by works, putting everything under his feet. Your president, you made him a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, just like he said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I got to die, go up to Jerusalem, be buried and raped. That by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He's gotten rid of death. And then it says this, verse 11, and this becomes the theme. He should make the author of their salvation, in verse 10, bringing many sons to glory. It was fitting that God, for whom and through everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Not one mistake, and with everything that was thrown at him, he never had a misstep. He was 100% flawlessly perfect. I will add here, according to the definition, perfect. Here's Jesus Christ, complete in all respects, without defect, sound, flawless, complete excellence, faultless, completely correct, exact, precise, pure, utter, absolute, Perfection is extreme degree of excellence according to a given standard. He was number one in the perfection ring. So that's the first time from page one. That's Hebrews 2.10. Hebrews 5 verse 9. Here's the way it's worded. During the days of Jesus' life, verse 7. Loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. So it wasn't just that he had to do this. He had to do this He uh, from what he suffered. And once made, there it is again, perfect. He, it's the theme of the book of Hebrews, perfection. Once made perfect, he became the source of, of eternal salvation, that's us, for all, that's us, who obey him. And he was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So when you look at that, you say, man, so you got Hebrews 5 there, Hebrews 7, verse 18. You don't go but a little ways, turn over to 7. I'm just bringing the book of Hebrews together. Verse 11, 7-11, if perfection, back on it again, 
could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood. If the law of Moses could have done it for us, law keeping, keeping the code, Ten Commandments and all the offshoots of the law handed to them over and over and over and over. For on the basis of the law was given to people, why was there still up for another priest? Why would why do you need another priest to come? Like, like one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there's a change of priesthood, there must be a change of law. Here comes Jesus. He got to where he was going, verse 16, basis of a regulation, nope, as to his ancestry, no, sir, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. That's how he got to be made perfect and to make us perfect. Verse 16. Hang on, Dad. Before you read that, let's take a break. So uh, our friends at ScoreMaster, one of our sponsors, tells us that a three-week rule may be the best financial advice. The three-week rule is if you're going to buy a car, remortgage your home, or have any major purpose, you wait three weeks. And the reason you do that is so you can go to ScoreMaster and you get that credit score up. And that's what it takes to get a lower interest rate. So you want to save money, especially on these big purchases. With inflation going on, you really need it. Uh, you can uh, raise your credit score by an average of 61 points, and so that's going to save you tens of thousands of dollars when you make a loan. ScoreMaster technology was developed by credit data scientists to boost your credit score higher and faster than you ever thought possible. So check them out, scoremaster.com slash fill, and you're going to get a special seven-day trial. That's scoremaster.com slash fill, seven-day free trial, scoremaster.com slash Phil. Verse 18. The former regulation is set aside, the law of Moses, because it was weak and useless. Wow. For the law made nothing perfect. It's real simple, gentlemen, ladies. No one ever kept it. That's the problem. No one ever kept it. No one kept it perfectly. And the law, guess what? Made nothing perfect. That's the danger and the downside of law. Look down at 22. But because of this oath, Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant than keeping the law because no one ever did it but him. And now he dies to get us out of Monday. Therefore, verse 25, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for him. He is Hebrews 1. He's back at the right hand of the Father to intercede for the ones he has saved and made holy and made perfect. He sacrificed, verse, uh, second part of verse uh, 27, he was sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. The law appoints the high priest men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect. There's that word again. For how long? Forever. You say, get behind that and get behind him and you'll get out of here alive. That's seven that's chapter seven. You turn one page, two poop. You get to one. You get to, to uh, chapter nine. When the Christ came, verse eleven, as high priest of the good things are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. You say, how could you have a perfect tabernacle? That's not man-made. Men built that humongous structure. You say. But Jesus went through the tabernacle going into the heavens and the cosmos. You're like, my goodness. When he died, was buried and resurrected from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of God. He didn't enter by means of blood, of goats, calves. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. 
So the new law, you look over there in verse 26. Now he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages. That's what chapter one, the first, the first paragraph said. Well, the Hebrew writer reminds you, he's appeared once at all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and then the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, the return. That's the last phase of all of this. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to the ones that come to him. Now watch this. You skip down to chapter 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Nothing like grace. No, not even close. Not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, never by the same sacrifices, animals, the blood of animals, repeated endlessly year after year. It cannot make perfect those who draw near to worship. It can't do it. You look down there below that, verse 4, chapter 10, Hebrews. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That one had to be done away with. And the one that we live under now is the grace of God, the one who has died on a cross to make us perfect. That's 10, 1 through 4. I've got three more. 10, 14, starting verse 11. <clears throat> day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. This went on for 1,500 years. Think about it. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. It can't happen, ladies and gentlemen. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice himself, he sat down at the right hand of God. We're back in the first paragraph of, of Hebrews on the first page. Since that time, check this out. He waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, and this scares me, I'm, I'm thrilled, but it's scary. By one sacrifice, the blood of Jesus, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You're like, good night. The whole thing has been done for me. I'm not guilty anymore. I'm perfect. You've heard the old adage, well, nobody's perfect. Uh, just check out Jesus Christ and the ones that put their faith in him. They're the perfect ones, literally perfect, because of his blood, our sins not being counted against you. That's the book of Hebrews. And about one more or two, 1132, uh, all these people, that we talked about when we studied the Hebrews, starting with verse 30, 31, prostitute Rahab, there was Gideon, there was Barak, there was Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. This is chapter 11, verse 31 and following. He ends it all up by saying, God has planned something better for us so that only together with us would they, all these great men of faith, be made perfect. Had to get Jesus in there are the ones who had given up their lives for Jesus, you're like, brought us all together. That's why when you come to Jesus, look right here, uh, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 22, you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, you've come to the church of the firstborn, Jesus, the only one ever like him, whose name, all the ones that were in the past, Samson and all of them, Noah and Abraham, you've come to God, the judge of all men, and check this out, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. Well, there it is again. You're like, they waited all that time, and Jesus had to come down, and the blood had to flow to reach back in history and pick up all these great men of faith and women. You're like, and he says, 
and they're made perfect too by it. So you look at that, and you got uh, one more. Hang on before you read that. Let's take another break. That will do, well, that'll do it right there. You can read it. Go you, ahead. You put them all together, and what you have is we uh, are the perfect ones on planet Earth, members of the kingdom of God, Jesus being the king. He's the Lord of the earth, heavens and the earth. He's greater than angels. He shed his blood so that our sins would be, look, removed. He made us perfect because we're in him and he's perfect. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, for all you followers out there, don't ever say that nobody is perfect because with Jesus, he is perfect and we're in him and it makes us perfect. So, you're not in and five minutes later you make a mistake, you, uh-oh, I'm out. You've been made perfect. Your sins are forgiven. There's constant mediating work between Jesus at the right hand of God and you. So, don't fret and don't get all upset. God made you perfect. Love him and do what's right. Love your enemies. Love your God, and you'll be okay. That's a little update from what our study of <laughs> Hebrews is about. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I got yeah a just little, a little update. A little something. Well, I thought about the passage in on the sermon. But it the, is a kind of, of a coherent type structure. Oh, no right? doubt about it. No doubt. I thought about the verse in, on the Sermon on the Mount. So here's Jesus trying to introduce these spiritual traits, you know, he starts off saying, you know, talking about the Beatitudes. And, and when we were in Matthew, you know, we taught those first four as being kind of qualities toward God. Blessed are yeah. the poor in spirit. Yeah. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then it was kind of the way we view the world. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted, which there's a lot in Hebrews about being persecuted. Yep. So then he he kind of gives them this debate on what the law says and, and what the heart says in these different scenarios with the fulfillment of the law or when it comes to murder or whether you're angry at your brother. Did you technically break the law? Uh, he gets into adultery, divorce making promises and he gets down to the end of chapter five and he brings up loving your enemies. And he's like, just to give an example, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So, I mean, he's introducing something and to even them. If they crucify you. Exactly. Which <laughs> is what he showed. So he gets down to verse 48 and he makes a controversial statement to most religious settings. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. But your first uh, thought is, well, I can't be perfect. So to your point, you know, that's why Jesus, when you're introduced, there is a way to have a perfect standing before God, but it wasn't because of anything you did. It was because of his plan. But then he... Based on what he did. But then he kind of introduces like, you know, because at first, the way I wrap my head around that, because if you just take that verse out of context and you go out and you preach it, people are going to think what I'm what I'm saying. They're like, well, I can't be perfect. What do you... What do you I, I, I can't... But could it be that he was introducing uh, a relationship with God rather than a ritual about God, which is the system they have when Jesus said that, which yep. was in place? Because then he tells three illustrations about saying, so be careful that when you do your acts of righteousness before men to seem to be seen by them, if you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. He brings up the father again. He's like, don't, when you give, don't do it just for men. 
And so then he, you know, makes a an example like in verse four, chapter six, so that your giving may be in secret. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So he was introducing this idea of what we experience every day, which is living on earth. Because of Jesus's grace, he's perfected us as far as our standing for God. And we're living like God is real. Like he sees our heart. He knows where we're at. And so he does the same thing with prayer. He says, don't just go out there and, you know, you know, you're supposed to pray. Don't go out and stand on the street to be seen by men, but go into your room, close the door. Your father who sees what is, what is in secret will know that, you know, and then he does the same thing with fasting. So I just think it's interesting that you're taking a principle that's unattainable and God is saying, it is attainable through me. Because why yep. would he put that in there is what I'm saying. Yeah. Why would he say be perfect because I'm. It's the same thing Peter said when he said be holy because I am holy. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's the same concept. It can't be done without Christ. I mean, that's the deal. It's... Without grace, which is how he summed up <clears throat> the 13th. Yeah, I thought, 13. I, I thought about Jay's. Um, let's take a break. I thought about when you were saying that about Ephesians, um, Ephesians chapter two uh, was one thought I had when dad was reading that because it says, um, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world Yep. and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, our flesh following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were nature by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. He says it over and over several times. He says, we are created. We are God's workmanship created in Christ used to do good works. But that's only once you achieve him. Are you able to even do those works he's prepared? Here's the way Paul said it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, <clears throat> which the Hebrew writers talks about, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was re, re, uh, reconciling the world reconciling, <laughs> reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Right. Not counting their sins against them. If you could get there, that's where, that's, that's where you say, whoo. Well, I think it's interesting. So I, I, I'll just Google while you were going through your short presentation, the, uh, I just wanted to see if the world said there were any perfect people. But they came up with something that said 10 perfectionist traits. I think this is interesting. So number one is all or nothing thinking. So perfectionists tend to set high goals and work hard toward them. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. A second trait is being highly critical. So perfectionists are more critical of themselves than others. All right. A third is they're they're pushed by fear hmm. because they don't want to fail, mess up. That's the motivation. Fear of God's the beginning of wisdom. But all this stuff is is true, and I'm gonna give you my answer when I get through. Four having unrealistic standards because they're like if you're a perfectionist, even the world is saying. You'll never get there. You're being a little unrealistic here. <laughs> uh, five, you focus only on the results, which if, if anybody who's a competitor or a sports fan knows that if you want to fail, focus on the results while you're playing. Yeah. Six, you feel depressed by unmet goals. Well, obviously, because if you're trying to achieve this, Seven, you have a unhealthy fear of failure. Eight, procrastination, which I think is kind of funny. You wind up not doing a whole lot 
because if you, you never want to mess up, well, you don't want to do anything. You put it off. See, the, uh, the problem next. with, with, with <clears throat> what these people are thinking, a lot of them perfectionist types. Well, I'm going to get to that. The, the problem is there's no Jesus here yet. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> so next is defensiveness because then, you know, you got to justify and be defensive if you're trying to be a perfectionist because you can't admit when you make a mistake or you rationalize when something's in a gray area. You're real defensive. You have a real low self-esteem, which you wouldn't think they would, but it it tends to make you implode mm -hmm. on how you view yourself because you can never me measure up. So I, obviously that's what I was going to say. They're all right because that's the process we go through every day on our own. But when you insert Jesus into all those ten qualities, that the world came up with, that, that they're right. All of a sudden, there's a path. Yep. There's a path a to path not... aim for, aim for. Well, well, there's a path to doing the opposite because you're now focusing all your energy based on appreciation for what he did for you. And there's a stride that develops. You know, you're striving to be like Jesus because of who he is and his his accomplishments. I mean, that's really what this faith is all about. Mm -hmm. And in the process, his love makes you perfect. Yeah. And your attitude becomes like him. That's why he was like, if you look at it like you're focusing on the relationship with him rather than your performance toward him, well, your life is going to, you're not going to have these negative traits. And you'd never make the right move every time, all the time. But that's why Jesus said, I'm here to mediate for you between you and me, I'm not holding that mistake you made against you. Well, and I would, up. I agree. And Jace, you could replace the word legalist or traditionalist mm -hmm. in in place of perfectionist, the list you just read, and you would describe who Jesus was speaking to in the book yep. of Matthew and who the Hebrew writer was speaking to in the book of Hebrews. That's exactly it was like, right. if, if you think it can be achieved by anything other than Jesus, or in addition to Jesus, That's right. then you're going to miss it. I mean, miss well, the it. reason we devoted this whole podcast is the same reason he devoted the whole letter <laughs> to them. It's a very difficult thing to surrender. I mean, God created us with it a is. sense of pride and awareness and purpose, and we have all these qualities, whether you believe in God or not. And we all give it our best shot, we try to do what we think is right, and we don't like people telling us what to do, especially when we're a teenager, because we want to take on the world, and we want to be successful, and we want to do what we think is going to make us happy, or and utterly, we all fail. And what about when you stumble? And here's God said, yeah, I created you that. I gave you this ability. I gave you the way to choose. And then he provided you know, a way out, which what we call salvation. But it was through, you know, his own son doing it all right. He goes through the same process, has the same temptations, but in his case, he does it right every time. Yep. And all of a sudden, he's like, well, that's going to be my sacrifice for your mistakes is to give him up and be disgraced. And then he's yep. like, so here's the admonition. Go be disgraced like him in my name. Right. It's just, it's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, crazy concept. But when you think about how awesome it is, it makes sense. It does. So dad kind of gave the wrap up in terms of looking at through the lens of perfection, which I think was really good and how we get that. Um, the outline, just to give it to you once again, as we kind of close out this podcast, Jesus is superior to prophecy. We read about that in the first three verses. Uh, all prophecy. He's superior to that because it's all about him. Yep. He's superior to angels, uh, one four through two eighteen, or any other worldly beings, whatever they are. Jesus is more and is, is infatuated as well. We even can. when he's wise, superior to prophecy is because he is the same yesterday and today and forever. Right. He's superior to angels because he created them. That's right. I mean, you you can think practically in know every how one of that. these. Jesus yeah. is superior to law, and he uses Moses uh, as his illustration three one through four thirteen. In other words, law is not going to save you because he wrote it. 
Exactly. He's, <laughs> he's superior to the priesthood, 414 through 728. He used Aaron as his example. But again, he is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. He's, a, he's he all created right. the concept. Jesus is, is superior to the old covenant, 8, 1 through 13, because the old covenant never could have saved anyway. That's it, it only could show you that sin was exceedingly sinful. That's right. And that's 8, 1 through 13. And then he said, finally, Jesus is superior to any ministry, 9, 1 through 10, 18. He used the sacrifices and the temple and everything that was going on. Everybody had a job to do, yep. but none of it could save you. You had to have Jesus. 1019 through 1229, we talked about, then it got practical. Here's what this looks like. He talked about faith and he talked about all the things that we mentioned, discipline. Uh, and then the final application was 13, one through 19. And that was just him saying, look, let me remind you again. Here's why this is so important. So that's your uh, your outline for the book. Uh, just well, so and I think it. it got back down to faith, hope, and love, which is how you respond. Yeah, I mean, I really think. What that, was your big outline? It was like that. It was Jesus is better. Yeah, put your faith in Him. You'll always have hope, no matter how bad it gets, and you love Him and you love others. You're good. Right. Usually, when you look at it, the whole thing boils down to a pretty simple concept. Yep. But. But but what we did was we went back over thousands of years of history and everything that had been done to lead up to that point, which is why this book is so powerful. You know how you take this in your practical life, especially when it comes to church leaders and religious organizations? You can ask a good question when you sit down and people say, here's what we're thinking. You can say, where's Jesus in all this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I've asked that question hundreds of times. Do things get quiet? Yeah. <laughs> It's a simple question. (laughs) And I've also said, where's grace in this? I mean, it's just a good, and they're like, what are you trying to say? I'm like, I just asked a question. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right, we're out of time. Uh, I had one thread, Dad, that I wanted to pull in in our overtime segment that you mentioned about the perfection of Jesus that I want to talk about over there. Well, that, that question also works really well in marriages and family, uh, especially teenage counseling situations. Mm-hmm. Cause I've asked all of my kids at some point when they're in the, you know, on the couch, I said, where was Jesus in all this? Mm-hmm. Usually the answer is nowhere to be found. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's find him crickets. All right. We'll see you on the other side. If you want to follow us over, it's blaze tv.com slash unashamed. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.